0: Low Burn Media, an evergreen podcast, presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless.
1: Suffolk County investigators have been searching for evidence since 10 bodies were found on the beach starting in December of 2010.
0: Right now, based on, uh, you know, the common denominators, uh, the similarities of the victims, where they were dumped, the dismemberment, uh, you know, it looks like one person.
1: We have some breaking news. CBS News has confirmed police have a suspect in custody linked to New York's 2010 infamous Gilgo Beach murders. Authorities were reportedly on the scene earlier today at First Avenue and Massapequa Park on December 11th, 2010. The first of what ended up being a total of 10 bodies was found. So we're going to have more information as we get it on this developing story. Suffolk County police will share new information in their investigation into the unsolved murders on Gilgo Beach. Suffolk County investigators have been searching for evidence since 10 bodies were found on the beach starting in December of 2010. Police are expected to disclose new evidence today, as well as a new initiative to share information on the cases and the new technology they're using to try to solve all those murders. This morning, police are pouring
0: through potential evidence they've collected from the Long Island home of Rex German. Box after box removed from the crime scene. The architect and father of two has pleaded not guilty to murdering three young women over a decade ago. And now NBC News has learned that investigators in other states are looking into potential connections to more crimes. Hello and welcome to part two of the Lisk conversation with author Jesse P. Pollack. And this is an intense conversation. So enjoy. Well, that, I mean, that makes sense to a degree, because you're, if you're trying to cover up a body, I mean, that would be the perfect thing to use, wouldn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, especially in that area. Yeah, it's not. like. I mean, let, let, I, I hate to give the guy credit, but if it wasn't for Shannon Gilbert, he probably would have gotten away with it because it wasn't that much longer after that. um Hurricane Sandy blew through and that probably would have washed away all those bones. I hate to to be that blunt about it, but I I don't think we would have known anything about the bodies along Ocean Parkway um if Again, Shannon's disappearance didn't kick off the search party in that area. I think all we would have known about was Manerville, But that was already a dead end by that point. You know, Manorville and Fire Island, those were going all the way back to 95, I think. And those cases were stone dead in in the water. I mean, eventually DNA may have at least identified some of those remains, but as far as a connection to this other dumping ground uh, along Gilgo beach, I'm pretty sure hurricane Sandy would have eliminated that. So, you know, whether Shannon was killed by the same person or persons, you know, I mean, it does matter, but, I think people do need to keep her in mind every time the Gilgo four and the rest of the, um, the victims on that stretch of highway are mentioned because without her, I don't think they would have ever been found.
0: That's a very good point. I mean, she was the catalyst to this whole situation and, To think that that was the catalyst and that we still don't have any answers for what actually caused her death other Mm -hmm. than the elements, I just, it's so tragic. I mean, it's, uh, you did an incredible service for the family. And by doing that, you know, again, like you said, we shouldn't have to beg people for DNA testing or or audio uh, engineers and stuff like that it's one of those things that I feel like you mentioned in the beginning Mm -hmm. about how the family has not received any money or anything in relation to any of the movies that they've put out.
1: Yeah. It's kind of, it makes you sick to, It makes you sick to your stomach when you see Deborah Norville on TV bragging about, and here's a trailer for the upcoming Long Island serial killer Lifetime movie that I'm an executive producer on, knowing that, you know, Shannon's uh, surviving loved ones are, you know, scraping to get by and struggling and had to rely on charity to bury her and to get, you know, some leeway done in her case. It's just... It is really hard not to get jaded uh, looking at that, and I'm sure some people may think I'm 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 a hypocrite because it's like, well, don't you also profit off of murder um, as a true crime uh, journalist and author? And and yeah, I do. I haven't gotten rich off of it. I'm certainly not paying every single one of my bills with my uh, book royalties, but I mean, that's the cross that I have to bear too. I'm. I'm You know, I, I wrestle with that all the time is this blood money, but I'm also not out there going on TV with a shit eating grin bragging about how, Oh, I, you know, look at my movie that I made while completely ignoring the family. When, when I worked on the documentary adaptation of the acid King, uh, I had the victim's family, uh, Gary's sister. I had her. On set with me while we were filming in Northport, and while she did not want to appear on camera to preserve her privacy, she supported what we were doing. If she had told me, like, listen, like, I appreciate you writing the book, but I don't think we need a documentary here either, I would have said, Okay, then we're not doing it. These other people that have profited off the sorrow of not just Shannon's family, but all of the other families um in, in this case, um, I don't know. It's it's just gross. It's it's they've turned the uh, the morgue into a piggy bank. You know what I mean?
0: Yes, I do. And I mean, I am in the same boat as you are, mm-hmm. where I have to wrestle with the idea of what I'm doing a good thing or is it just? No, you're you doing know, what kind good of...
1: work, man. You're not out there bragging on Twitter about how you're the only show that has serial killers calling as guests. You know what I mean? You're not a ghoul. <laughs>
0: this, is, this is true. This is true. But, you know, it is one of those things that you do have to wrestle with. And, you know, I was on a panel in the fall, in Chagrin Falls, for a mm-hmm. documentary film, film festival about true crime ethics. And it's amazing how many people jump into this genre without having any journalist... Ethics, any journalism training, any any training in regards to how to deal with victims and victims, families. And it's a it's a shocking thing because there's so many true crime shows out there. Uh, And you just know that there aren't a lot of them that are really. you, you, You
1: want some fucking tea? I'll give it to you. I wouldn't trust a damn thing on any true crime television show at all, because the Oxygen Network once asked me to lie about a case on camera.
0: Well, there you go. You,
1: you want that story real quick? A couple of years ago, um, while I was in the middle of working on the acid King documentary, a producer from oxygen emailed me and set up a phone meeting because they wanted to cover the Casso case for a television show called cults that kill. And I had to explain to them on the phone, like, well, I mean, the whole point of my book is Ricky Casso was not in a cult, let alone led one. This was a drug murder among teenage friends and the the person that i who had made the initial contact and i was speaking with was like oh um shoot full disclosure uh mr Pollock, i actually didn't read your book like this just kind of got assigned to me um let me talk with the executive producer and uh i'll get back to you and then this executive producer uh He got on the phone with me, and I I swear on my life, he goes, Jesse, come on, man, look, I understand that Ricky wasn't, like, in a cult, but the show's called Cults That Kill. Throw me a bone here. Can I get you on camera saying something like, oh, yeah, well, he said he wasn't in a cult, but if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, And I told him to go fuck himself. I was like, no, are you kidding me? I just put out a book detailing in 450 pages why this guy was not in a cult. And you want me to go on your TV show and say, well, maybe he was. Like, this is how they operate. And if they did that to me, imagine what they have asked other people to do in the name of we are trying to create compelling entertainment. So it's yes, it's Uh, it's, it leaves me and I'm sure it leaves a lot of other people very jaded. But for, for any listeners that are shocked to hear about these tactics for the first time, seriously, question everything you learn about true crime. If it comes from television, do your own research, people examine the sources, examine citations, because you you in this day and age, you really cannot just rely on oh well, it's a documentary on on television. It, it's got to be true, right? They've got fact checkers and lawyers. They don't. They have lawyers that basically take one look at the script and go, uh, is there anything here we can get sued over? No. Oh well, they're dead, so you can't be sued over something like that. Uh yeah, no, you're good. Um, air it. They do not have like a, a a team of true crime researchers and journalists and and lawyers uh sitting around going "Is this fact correct is this right they don't so question everything sorry end rant
0: <laughs> yeah and it's and and I've been on those shows too before where it's like the producer the director is kind of just telling you what to say and it's it is what it is definitely a moment where you realize, yeah, you definitely need to take these things with a grain of salt because you don't know what these other people who don't have training in this environment, how manipulated they can be and how easy it is oh, yeah, to do I, so.
1: I, I, I've i had a ID contacted me a few years ago about the De Palma book and they were straight up telling me like, oh yeah, like if you agree to this interview, like don't worry, don't be nervous, we're gonna have a teleprompter. And I'm like, oh what, for the the person interviewing me? Oh no, for you, you see, what we're gonna do is we're gonna conduct a preliminary interview first and then we're gonna transcribe your answers and then we're gonna rewrite them into compelling sound bites and then you can just read them off the screen. And I was like, no thanks, I, I don't do the you put words in my mouth shit for maximizing advertising revenue. I don't play that game. I'm I'm a journalist. Uh, You know, I'm not going to sit here and be like some of these other disingenuous fuckers in the true crime world that are like, I'm a victim advocate while they're selling, you know, uh, coffee mugs with a a (laughs) bloody knife on it or some shit like that. You know, I'm a journalist. Um, I, I choose the true crime stories to tell based on a very specific criteria. And it's usually... Um, if if a sin or ill has been committed with the prior reporting. Like, the Ricky Casso case, again, it was something where it's like, well, the media really screwed up on that one and said that this murder happened because of Ozzy Osbourne records and a non-existent satanic cult. Same with the Jeanetta Palma case. They said she was sacrificed by witches. Like, you know, this is Halloween 3 or some shit. And that is where I can do a service. Like I've had a lot of people and publishers ask me to write about other cases. And it's like, I, I'm not needed here. This isn't something where something needs to be corrected. And well, well, this, this would be good for you. It'd be good exposure. And it's like, I I don't really care. That's not what I am about. And you know, sometimes you just see a lot of these people out there that pretend to care and pretend to be advocates and they're just not there. There are bad actors in every sense of the word.
0: Absolutely. And I know you have a tight, uh, you have a, get out of uh you need to get out of here in a few minutes well, but i got, I I got wanna... like
1: 20 more minutes but uh right. I, I i do got to circle back though to that transcript because we got off the farm though
0: yeah we sure did and then we also have to touch on the atlantic city case oh yeah so go ahead and finish what we were talking about with the uh transcript
1: but and... um <laughs> that but that whole diversion um aside there um God, wow! That, that that really turned into. I really hope your listeners don't think I'm like some asshole for flipping out on, uh, you know, calling out true crime culture like that. But it's 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 frustrating, man. We've Just seen knowing... an
0: evolution of of things. You know, I think anybody who listens knows that they're what is good and what's not. And you know, it's I think, like you have said yesterday, you know, there's going to be a point where the bubble is going to burst, but.
1: Oh yeah, because we'll it, it did in the that. '80s, like the, yes. the late '70s through the early '80s. There was a like a, a precursor to this boom, and then kind of died out in the, the '90s, and even all the way up through the the early 2010s. Like we were talking about yesterday, um, there was a point in time where we were trying to get uh, you know, and by we I mean Mark Moran and myself, my co-author on Death on the Devil's Teeth. We were trying to get that book sold no one wanted it we were constantly told like no you know true crimes on the way out it doesn't sell you know by these publishers to the point where we're like well we're not trying to get rich off of this it's just we really want to get the story out there can't you do like a limited run so the financial risk isn't huge for you and they're like no we don't really do that we want to maximize profits (laughs) etc and then even once the book was out in 2015 we we were calling up the, the newspapers in the county where Jeanette was was killed and saying like, hey, could you do just like a little story saying there's this book out, you know, so that her friends and relatives can be aware of it and who knows, maybe someone will read it and like an important tip will get called into the police. Uh, uh not real, You know, we we got too much, we, we you know, like stories to work on this week. Sorry, Like someone did like a really cute photo shoot with their dog. So we don't have room for a story like this. But now that the book has become like sort of like an underground cult sort of, classic within like the New Jersey true crime genre now you know newspapers are calling every anniversary they want to do this they want to do that like I said the investigation discovery channel has called me a bunch of times and it's like well where the fuck were you people when we were trying to get word about this case out there so it could get solved now you're all interested because you know you smell some money to be made like it's gross and again look I get it people deserve to be paid for their work and these are businesses they're they're driven by money, but is it really asking that much to have some compassion or, or some ethics involved with true crime reporting these days? And apparently it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 tough, man. It, it's, they're always trying to maximize every bit of profit and it's basically the profit off of the victim. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's very unfair as we've discussed. And, you oh yeah, know, they've
1: got a million dollars for Rex's wife, but nothing for the Gilbert family or any of the other families. Uh, funny how yeah. that works, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's it's quite. Uh, I, you know, I, I will say this: there was at least a significant outrage when that came out. I mean, I yeah. Think, but is
1: it going to go anywhere?
0: Well, no, that's the best. <laughs> I guess that's where I guess that's where I was going to go with that. Yeah, because you know, yeah, everybody can be pissed off, but is Peacock going to take back their money? No, Well, but, of course not. You know, I will say that it would be interesting if somehow they find that she was knew a little bit more than what she's letting on and how that goes over.
1: Like I said before, a lot of stuff's going to hopefully come out in the wash during the trial. I don't want to speculate. Not that you're asking me to. This is just as an aside. Like, I don't want to speculate too much on that. You know, whether she was involved or not, again, I just think it's incredibly gross that, you know, None of these companies and corporations ever had any money to compensate the Gilbert family with or Maureen Brainerd Barnes's family with or the family of Megan Waterman, Amber Lynn Costello, um, Melissa Bartholomew, uh, Valerie Mack. All, they they had no money for any of these families, all of which are struggling. And being exploited and having their privacy invaded. They're being, you know, stalked by weirdos and nutcases and being harassed on the internet and all of this stuff. No money for them, but, oh, suddenly we've got money to, you know, give her a check for a million dollars and give Rex's wife a makeover. And, oh, we've even earmarked 400 grand for her, you know, ambulance chaser lawyer. Like, oh, suddenly there's just an endless pot of money because oh that's a great scoop you know you, you you can you can hear the the TV spot for it already for the first time the wife of Rex humanerman goes on record and what's it all gonna amount to honestly like is you know 1.4 million dollars really worth you know five minutes of her you know throwing the tears on on the camera going I just didn't know because that's all you're gonna get what do they think she's gonna say like yeah I knew I knew the whole time I I, I helped him. Like, that's not going to happen. She's just going to say, I didn't know anything. But they've, again, they have nearly $2 million at their disposal to pay her for a big old nothing burger for their programs, but nothing for the victims. And, yeah, Rex's family are victims, too. This is horrific what happened to them, and they've got to deal with it. But you you can't have it both ways. If you're going to pay one of them, pay the victims, too. It's just, it's enraging. Like, as soon as this guy got caught, all of the vultures came out to, you know, get their little, you know, hunk of meat, their pound of flesh, and oh, well, how can we how could we turn this into a money making machine? And it's just fucking gross, you know? Yeah, it's
0: it is gross. And uh with that being said, let's get back to the gross transcript that you yes. uh, that you had uh analyzed.
1: So uh, going back to uh, where we left off before, the interesting thing, again, with Michael Pack's story about, oh, yeah, no, she she ran down the steps, she fell, and then she just kept running past my car, and I had to chase her, yelling her name, and she wouldn't stop, and then I just lost sight of her, and I, I left. That's not what's on the tape. On the tape, she runs down the stairs, unobstructed, she does not fall, but when she gets to the bottom of the stairs to the driveway, you hear a voice on the the recording. I keep saying tape, but it was a digital recording, but... You know, if you hear me say tape, we're we're referring to the nine one one call. But on this recording, he, you hear this voice, which I believe to be Pack, and Michael Whelan believed it to be, and so did Jeff Adamek, my you know two members of this team that I put together. Um, you hear this voice say, "Get in here," and then all of a sudden, you just hear the scuffle go on, like. He's trying to manhandle her and throw her into the car. This is significant because there was a jacket Shannon was wearing that night that was supposedly recovered by the police in uh, Joseph Brewer's driveway. And then it disappeared from the evidence room. Um, the police also missed when they went to Joseph Brewer's house. One of Shannon's earrings was found in the driveway again, not by the police, but by Shannon's mother and sister who went to Oak beach to look into things themselves days and weeks after Shannon disappeared, they found that earring again in the driveway, the same place where the jacket was first found by the police. So That makes sense with what you hear on the tape. I think Pack grabbed her. Maybe he was trying to get her into the car. Maybe it was something else. And Shannon, in her uh, attempts to break free, her earring was ripped out and her jacket came off. And she keeps running. She's screaming. She's obviously freaked out by Pack trying to grab her. And for the remainder of the tape leading up to her getting to Gus Coletti's house, you hear nothing that Pac said that he did. You do not hear the engine of his car start and then him start to follow her, shouting her name. You never hear Pac again on that tape. You never hear his vehicle on that tape. He just kind of vanishes from the recording after that, and it's not a quality issue. Even though, yeah, it is a low-fidelity digital recording, you can hear some details on there that are striking. Like, you hear birds chirping because the sun is coming up. You can hear... um, what what sounds like sandals on on Shannon's feet, or I think it was dancing shoes, something like, either way, it, it, you could hear the type of shoes that she's running in. That's how clear it is. But no, you never hear him start his car back up and pursue her in this valiant attempt to save her, like he always uh, said to the police and the press that he did. And I find that very strange, because the... Police interviewed him very early on in the investigation, and they got a hold of the, the state police recording of the 911 call very, very soon as well. And they always said, well, we cleared Michael Pack as a suspect in, in her death because, you know, e- everything he told us during the uh, witness interview lined up with what's on the 911 tape. And that's not true. There are major divergences and, and, uh, differences between the, the, what he said happened and what's on the tape. He's always said, Oh no, I never touched her. I was in the car and she just ran past me. No, he touched her, whether it was an assault or, you know, uh, you know, a uh, a good faith struggle to get her in the car and get her home and get her some help for whatever's happening. Who knows? But the fact of the matter is, is he lied to the press and the police, and the police just kind of shrugged about it, like, eh, What are you going to do?
0: So we were talking about that Michael Pack uh, part of the tape.
1: Well, uh, again, I think it's very striking that his, uh, you know, quote unquote, official story that he gave to the police and to the press is completely at odds with what's on the nine one one recording, and yet he was cleared by the police as a suspect in Shannon's death. And I'm quoting the police on that. They said at the time, like, oh, yeah, no, we cleared him because his account of what happened that night matches the nine one one call. And it doesn't. It does not at all. And am I sitting here saying, you know, you know, Michael Pack definitely murdered Shannon Gilbert, or, you know, Michael Pack might be one of the killers dumping bodies on uh, Gilgo Beach? No. What I am saying, though, is I think it deserves a closer look by law enforcement and journalists because th- that's a pretty big divergence in in those two things. his His story and what the tape says. And, I mean, we're not talking about any fucking Boy Scout here. Michael Pack went to jail at least once for a human trafficking charge before he ever took Shannon Gilbert to Oak Beach that day. So... You know, the fact that he is lying to the police and the press over the disappearance and death of an escort, it deserves a little more examination than the Suffolk County police going, bop, he said he didn't do it, uh, I guess he's innocent, next. You know what I mean? It's frustrating.
0: Very infuriating as far as this whole case goes. I mean, it seems like a case that should have been solved a lot sooner than what it was and it does make me wonder like with shannon's body being discovered was that the reason that rex stopped committing crimes i mean or did he i mean that like that's there's all these questions we talked about how it's going to get all
1: no i believe megan waterman was was I hate using the word dumped like like it sounds sure. like you're throwing trash out but I do believe Megan Waterman was killed after Gilbert Shannon L- let me check that it was either Megan Waterman or Amber Costello because Shannon Gilbert was May third I want to say let me Make sure I've got that correct, because that is a very interesting point that you brought up, because I had wondered that, too. Like, is this guy going to stop and go into hiding now that these bodies have been found? All right. So she died May 1st, 2010, because here's the interesting thing there. um, Shannon uh, vanished and presumably died the first week of May 2010. But Megan Waterman was killed in June. 2010, the the following month. So the incident with Shannon at Oak Beach, whether it was related or unrelated to the uh, the Lisk killings, um, it did not stop the killings. Right.
0: That's kind of an odd thing. You know, you would think that uh, when something like that happens in your neighborhood, that (sighs)
1: Well, that's the weird thing too, because I I know what you're getting at here. It's um, you, you would think that like okay, uh, for people to say, well, Shannon has nothing to do with Lisk and the the bodies on Gilgo Beach, uh, they would say, well, you, you know, you would think that he would stop, you know, like she ran away and. You know, uh, the cops were called and you you would stop then or if you're not going to stop, you're going to stay the hell away from there. But the following month, Megan Waterman was killed and dumped only a few hundred yards away from where Shannon's body was eventually recovered. But I don't know. By the same token, it's weird. It's it's like you uh, Shannon Gilbert disappearing was a pretty, you know, I'm not going to say it was national news at the time, but in the tri-state area, you think Rex Heuriman would have heard about that, like, oh yeah, shit, a call girl went missing over where I'm dumping those bodies. I should probably stop dumping them over there. Mm-hmm. Or maybe had he gotten that reckless where he didn't care? I don't know. I don't really see that, though. Like, he's you know, I mean, he's evil and he's one of these sexual based killers that can be really fucking scary, but I don't see him being like Ted Bundy reckless, like being like, Oh, I I don't care if I get caught by the cops that are obviously watching this area because there's a missing girl from that area. I'm just going to keep dumping. It's just a weird thing. It's like, how did he not know about it? And if he did know about it, why did he keep dumping there? It's, it's strange again, hopefully a lot of this is going to come out in the wash at the trial
0: yeah and again i wanted to touch on this just because i've covered the case a number of times and that's the atlantic the mm-hmm. atlantic city four they were founded behind the golden key motel in uh, i yeah. believe it was 2000 uh, mid 2000s and uh those were all very similar mo's to each other i mean you could tell it was done by the same killer yeah. what is the chance that rex had anything to do with those killings
1: I'm going to, you know, what was his name? He was the, uh, I'm going to look this up real quick because he was like where that connection sort of began And a dormer, uh, Suffolk County police commissioner dormer back when the bodies were found on, uh, Gilgo beach, you know, he was giving statements to the press saying, you know, we looked into it and we don't, we don't feel there's a connection. I think that that was premature. Um, Is there, like, any sort of, like, smoking gun there saying that Rex was also the, um, uh, what do they call it, Eastbound Strangler? Yes. Not really, but I do think it's very interesting how many connections that Rex has to New Jersey. Not, not not necessarily the Atlantic City area, but his first wife was from New Jersey. I believe they lived in the Brunswick area, and I believe it came out after he was arrested that he owns at least two properties in New Jersey, or did at one time. So, you know, I know Jersey's a big place, and it has a lot of people there, but it isn't that far away, you know, Atlantic City and the Brunswick area where he was living in the I know he was living there in the 90s. Um, I mean, it's like an hour and change away. So, I, I, again, th- there's enough circumstantial similarities between the Lisk killings and the Eastbound Strangler that I think now that we have Rex in custody, they need to take another look at this and hopefully they are.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely something that they need to take a deep dive into and see if there's anything that could have connected him because that case is completely cold and so mm-hmm. you know i guess we can say that there are multiple serial killers operating in the tri-state area one t- at the same time that's not that crazy but
1: oh no of course i mean uh, uh rifkin i believe was operating around the same time um as Uh, At least some of the Manorville killings and all that, because I remember the cops questioned Rifkin about that, like, were you also the Long Island serial killer? And Rifkin straight up said no. And Jersey has had several uh, serial killers operating at the same time. Um, You know, at at one point it was kind of common thought that you could separate these killers by, you know, choices and M.O., but it's now becoming more and more apparent that serial killers do switch up their MOs. I mean, look at the Zodiac killer. He was originally, uh, a couple killer, um, shooting them in their, in and around their cars, kind of like the son of Sam. But then he completely switches it up at Lake Berryessa and does it like a hostage situation and ties them up and stabs them. Um, and then, you know, If you believe his murders ended with this one, he caps it all off with uh, the murder of Paul Stein, the taxi driver. He, He gets into his cab, and once they get to the destination, he shoots him behind the ear. So... It, it, it's more of a gray area now. It's it's harder to tell. You can't just rely on just, oh, well, their MOs are different anymore. So as far as trying to figure out how many are active in, in the same general area, it's it's getting increasingly difficult.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. And especially with, I think, the proliferation of the internet and knowledge being out there as far as what cops are looking for and how to avoid them. And I think that's definitely play, plays a role in you know, these criminals... Not that that's preventing them, it's more of that they're finding other ways to dodge getting caught, whereas in previous years, you know, they didn't know about this technology. In previous
1: years, you could slip up in in dumb ways and get caught. I mean, one of the most comical... Um, if anything can be comical in in what we're talking about, but I mean, like, are you familiar with how um, Dennis Rader, the the BTK killer, uh, was eventually caught? Yes, yes, yeah. The the floppy disk. Like, you guys you can't, can't you guys this. can't trace a floppy disk, right? Uh, no, no. Yeah, send it over to us. <laughs> caught him. Right. It's, it's, I, I think that era is is over and done with. Just about everybody knows. Like, you no, know, they can track you on the internet. Um, And it's, it's no longer like with DNA, it's not like, oh, I got to make sure that I wear gloves and, you know, a hat or something. So I don't leave a hair behind. Now we've got, what is that touch transfer DNA? Where even if like you get a little bit of your sweat on a surface, they can get your DNA profile off of it. Um, You know, very, very small to the point of almost microscopic skin cell samples they can get your DNA from. So it's like, like, unless you're walking around in a full rubber suit, like, you kill someone, they're going to find a way to get DNA, an eyelash something, you know what I yeah. mean?
0: I mean, we, we've all seen Dexter or, you know, the first couple seasons.
1: <laughs> or how, yeah, how many different CSI spinoffs are there now?
0: Yeah, the, yeah, the, it's crazy. And if you don't know that DNA is out there and that Google tracks you and that they can easily figure out where you are at any time of any day, you know... Just, it's just kind of like you have to accept it to a degree.
1: Google, cell phone towers, DNA, all that stuff. Like
0: Yeah, you see it in the Idaho I, case. You know, Koberger getting caught up with the oh cell no, phone he, towers. Oh, no,
1: he was just an innocent bystander, man. <laughs> like... Oh, my God. You know, that's a whole other tear. But the shit that his lawyer is saying, oh, yeah, you know, like he he was in the room with them when they were killed. But that doesn't mean he did it. It's like, really, that's your defense. Holy shit.
0: That one, I've uh, I've I've covered that a few times. I've had uh, I had this guy. um, He's a defense attorney now, but he was a former prosecutor of Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And he is uh, that's Matt Mangino. And he's on law and crime. And you see him all the time. But. We did, oh, yeah. a, we did an episode a couple weeks ago about the updates in the Delphi case, as well as the Idaho 4 case, and he was kind of laying out what the lawyers were doing and all this procedural stuff, and it's just, yeah, it's amazing how much, I mean, we saw it with the Simpson trial, you know, we're not, we're not, mm-hmm. um, like, you can bombard juries with just Endless amounts of information. Now, granted, we all know now. It's the
1: Chewbacca defense. That yeah,
0: (laughs) right. I mean, and we all know that Simpson's case is an outlier. But nowadays, I just don't see how he's gonna.
1: Is it though? Is it really? Because uh, there's there's a chick named um, What's uh, uh, Casey Anthony? Yeah, Kaylee was her daughter. Yeah, good point. Good good uh, point.
0: Good point. Never mind. Take that back. Dude,
1: like. The fucking legal system in this country, like, yeah, it's better than some others, but we still got some fucking work to do fixing things here. We sure do.
0: We sure do. And with that being said, let's uh, get some of your... uh... Plugs in what uh, where can sure. people find you and uh, get in touch with you if they want or get your books?
1: Uh, well, people can find me. Um, my books are available just about any retailer. Um, if If you're the type of person that wants to make sure an author gets uh, supported in the maximum way. Um, Definitely, Like, if you want to check out Death on the Devil's Teeth, go to the Arcadia Publishing website to pick that up because Amazon does not pay authors very well at all when it comes to royalties. Um, the Acid King is available everywhere. I don't think Simon & Schuster sells it retail themselves, but you can pick it up on IndieBound. Um, if you want to check out the documentary version of The Acid King, it's uh, streaming, I believe it's on Tubi right now. Um, But there's also a a special edition Blu-ray with uh, additional footage, commentary, etc. That's for sale at a number of retailers and uh, it's priced, you know, admirably affordably. It's not like one of these collector's editions that are $45. I think it's like 15 bucks or something. And uh, I've got a new book that is coming out in, I believe, June that's uh, called Room 100. And that chronicles the Nancy Spungen murder case uh, of Sid and Nancy fame, the sec- famous Sex Pistols murder case. And um, if you want to check out some of the podcasts I do, as I mentioned before, um, I did a one season podcast series on the Jeanette Palma case that tied into Death on the Devil's Teeth. That's called The Devil's Teeth. Well, no, it's just called Devil's Teeth. Sorry. Uh, Let me re-say that. Um, I did a uh, one-season podcast series on Jeanette's case that ties in with Death on the Devil's Teeth that's just called Devil's Teeth. And um, if you're looking for more lighthearted true crime uh, content, as I mentioned earlier, I co-host the True Crime Movie Club podcast where we review slash roast absolutely terrible uh, direct-to-video and and bargain bin, true crime movies. Uh, if you love Red Letter Media and Mystery Science Theater 3000, it's right up your alley. And uh, if you, uh, again, you want another humorous take on things that occasionally covers true crime, I'm a co-host on Podcast 1289. That's Podcast 1289. And, you know, if you like stuff like Last Podcast on the left and, again, um, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, Similar kind of vibe. It's me and uh, a few friends and we just discuss like the weirdest like conspiracy theories and paranormal tales and occasional true crime content that we can find Uh, just really stupid stuff. Like the, the, the one thing that I always come back to mentioning as a good primer for what we do on that show is we did a couple episodes on the quote unquote conspiracy theory that Stephen King shot and killed John Lennon, not Mark David Chapman. And no, not Stephen King paid for uh, the, the murder of John Lennon. Stephen King himself fired the shots that ended the former Beatles' life. So if you want to know the kind of goofy crap we talk about, it's it's stuff like that. So if you're into stuff like that, definitely check those out. Um, if you want to follow me, I am at Author. That's J-P-O-L-L-A-C-K, author, on Instagram and Twitter. So... Yeah, um, you can could, you could find that stuff there. And also, got to give a big shout-out to Weird New Jersey, uh, who I have been writing for since 2001. There's two issues that come out every year. Doesn't matter where you live, you can get a subscription online. Still five bucks an issue. And if you want to see some of my... Uh, Interesting reporting over the years, a lot of it true crime oriented. Uh, definitely check out Weird New Jersey. That's at weirdnj.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me this week. It has been an absolute joy to get to uh, know you and uh, to have another great connection in the industry. And it's uh, it's been great. So thanks so much, Jesse.
1: Same as well. I I can't thank you enough for having me on. And this has been uh, as much fun as you can have talking about gruesome and horrific and traumatic murders. Um, But, you know, I I think you're one of the good guys out there. Again, you're not one of those ghouls. And uh, so thanks again. I can't thank you enough for having me on. Now, with that being said... um, Another podcast that I'm starting up now There's only about three episodes out um, It's called Unknown Horizons And you don't have to put this in We don't have to plug this or anything uh, Because it's still on baby feet But basically it's kind of You ever listen to Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell? It's kind of like that Like we wanted to sort of like Take back the cool like paranormal True crime and conspiracy theory radio Like take it away from the QAnon crowd And just be like no we're going to talk about cool stuff Like Bigfoot and shit but um if you've got a fucking like a ghost story or like a true crime encounter like we we would love to have you on sometime like we we just released an episode where um we we interviewed this video game designer he actually worked on and named the video game Halo. Oh, wow. His name's Paul Russell and he was almost John Wayne Gacy's final victim. That's crazy. Yeah, Gacy followed him home from school one day. It's it's a really fucking creepy story. If you go uh, check it out, again, the show's called Unknown Horizons. The name of the episode is The Last Victim. Check that I will, shit out.
0: definitely, definitely. Hey,
1: but yeah, we'd love to have you on if you have anything that would, would follow that criteria. Or if,
0: yeah, I'll have to rack my brain and see what kind of crazy... I mean, I've had some...
1: Have you seen a UFO? That's, that also meets the criteria.
0: <sighs> Not that I can officially say. Like, I mean, I've seen some weird-ass mm-hmm. stuff here. In Denver. I mean, I don't know what's going on in Denver, but like multiple occasions I've seen just weird lights going up in the middle of the day. Really? Like, yeah, like they're going into like storms and stuff. And like we've heard people have seen them and The weather people say that we're sending up weather balloons. (laughs) The classic
1: weather balloon excuse.
0: (laughs) The balloons don't function like the way that these things are functioning. And why can we see them so far Yeah, we got to have you
1: on talking about this. This this is right up (laughs) our alley. You'll like this show.
0: Hey, Jesse, thanks so much for joining me on... uh, who killed? It's been quite the adventure. I'm really looking forward to talking to you again in the future about other cases, and if you ever have another book that you want to plug, you're always welcome to come on. I've enjoyed this thoroughly, and I hope the listeners have as well. Again, you can find all of Jesse's books by Googling Jesse P. Pollock or going on simonandschuster.com, and you can also check out his documentary, The Acid King. And again, that's on Tubi. So thanks so much for Jesse taking time out of his busy schedule.
1: Thank you. And thank you all for listening.
0: Thank you guys for listening to this really interesting aspect of the Long Island serial killer case. And if you want to follow me on Twitter and stay up to date with what's going on in the world of true crime, you can follow me at BillHuffman3. And until next time, as always, stay healthy and
1: Be safe. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Something
0: is creeping, don't it, Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability.
1: Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually.
0: To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless,
1: spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S.